Welcome back to Contemporary Communication. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Jones, and hopefully today I have fixed the uh, audio problems that plagued our last episode. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at Socrates' rejoinder to Lysias' speech. So we will begin by setting some of the context, and then we'll look at the actual content of Socrates' speech, and save the analysis for the two speeches, the comparison that Socrates makes for uh, our next or a future episode. So to begin with, we can look back at the, the context of the speech. In this dialogue, we have just heard Phaedrus reading Lysias's speech and Socrates providing a, a critique of the, uh, the speech and its performance. And so now Socrates is going to give his version of the same speech. Now note in lines 235c through d, Socrates talks a little bit about the nature of invention and the relationship between um, what he is going to say and what we have talked about earlier in terms of reading. So in these lines, um, Socrates says here, uh, I can't tell you offhand, but I'm sure you've heard better somewhere, perhaps was the lovely Sappho or the wise uh, Anacron, or even some writer of prose. So what's my evidence? The fact, my dear friend, that my breast is full and I can, f and I feel I can make a different speech, even better than Lysias's. Now I'm well aware that none of these ideas can have come from me. I know my own ignorance. The only other possibility, I think, is that I was filled, like an empty jar, by the words of other people streaming in through my ears, though I am so stupid that I have even forgotten where and from whom I heard them. What's interesting here is Socrates is prefacing this speech with a introductory remark dealing with the, the problem of invention. And in the, the problem of invention, he's referring back or <laughs> he's prefacing um, something that he'll talk about later with the problem of writing. And what this is referencing is the idea that he doesn't understand the words that have filled him. So he's still in this sort of Bacchic uh, euphoria. And because he's in this Bacchic euphoria, he is merely repeating things that others have said, importantly here, without understanding them. And as we come to learn and to know more and more about Socrates, we find that understanding is key for uh, understanding Socrates, that he's not interested in merely repeating the things that, that others have said. He would want us to understand them. Why these words and not others? What, what do they mean? Where does he start with? How is he building an argument? And indeed, this is why I find it so interesting and, and important to read the Phaedrus when we're studying a topic like rhetoric. Because often, as Socrates or as, as Plato has set this out, rhetoric and philosophy are seen um, not merely in tension, but in opposition to each other. Um, if they were in tension, then they would pull us towards one side or another. 
and that's more where Aristotle will place them. But if they're in opposition to each other, then each is seeking to destroy the other. And yet here we find some elements of a rhetorical and philosophical synthesis that Socrates wants for us to understand and then to make a case. And so the form with which he presents his words will be important for that very reason, that he's going to begin by telling us something of um, what we should understand, uh, what the point is, what it is we're really talking about. In the, the parlance of the contemporary classroom, he's talking about a thesis statement. And unless there's a thesis statement, unless there's a, a a point that you're arguing, then you're not going to be able to really have a speech. So with that, with that note then, um, he's using others' words. And so uh, the writing then will be an attempt to appear wise. So also though, um, Socrates is showing us that he can appear wise and he can best Lysias. And he is making the implicit accusation that Lysias is merely appearing wise, but doesn't have actual wisdom. And from there, we move into the actual content of the speech. And when we slip into the content of the speech, um, this is where we... This is where we get into some of the more... Uh, sorry, I'm adjusting my, my microphone. I, I think I'm terribly botching the recording this time as well. Um, as we get into the content of the speech, we're dealing now with um, Socrates' version of Lysias's speech. So um, the, the speech begins with an appeal to the muses. So Socrates is um, badgered into giving this presentation, and, and he, he sets this up in the same way that um, uh, Plato sets this up in the same way that he set up uh, Phaedrus reading or recitation of um, Lysias's speech. By that I mean um, everything that Socrates said to badger Phaedrus into giving a presentation, Phaedrus will now say to badger Socrates into giving a presentation, even down to accusing him of, of coyness and reticence. And, and Socrates then also will distance himself from Lysias's speech and from the presentation he's about to give, um, even going so far as to saying that, that he's going to, to hold a sheet over his head so that no one can, can see that it's him, um, or so that Phaedrus won't, won't see him blushing and he won't get distracted. So he begins somewhat typically with, uh, with a, an appeal to the muses. Um, and it starts off not just with the appeal to the to the muses, um, but he says, there once was a boy, a youth rather, and he was very beautiful, and he had many lovers. One of them was wily, and had persuaded him, and that he was not in love, though he loved the lad no less than the others. And once in pressing a suit to him, he tried to persuade him that he ought to give his favors to a man who did not love him, rather than one who did. And this is what he said. So we have an additional framing device here that tells this speech in the form of a story. And in this story, we're to understand that the, the person who is um, speaking is in love, but is denying his love in order to capture his love. So that, that framing is significant because 
he is pretending to be something he is not in order to accomplish his goal. And so going back then to the dispute, the debate, the opposition between rhetoric and philosophy, or the tension between rhetoric and philosophy, here, if we're thinking of um, the, the lover as the lover of wisdom, then we must also consider that um, Lysias is a lover of wisdom who is pretending not to love wisdom in order to capture wisdom. So when we think about that framing device in terms of uh, a media culture or the invention of writing or the introduction of any new medium, it is someone who loves the, the object um, of, their, of their affection and is trying to capture it through a medium, um, but not because they want to understand, but because they want to retain it, they want to possess it. So it is not for the love of wisdom, but for the capturing and retention of wisdom. And that becomes, again, significant as we look at the unfolding of Socrates' argument. So um, the appeal to the muses and noting that Socrates sets this up as a parable, so a short story with characters to help us remember the lesson through the plot. N noting also that the thesis then is about arrows. Yet Socrates continues to separate himself from his speech. Um, this isn't his voice or his thought. And he emphasized this in a, in a break in um, 238D. And in 238D, uh, after giving the introduction and, and saying, you know, so the, the thesis, the unreasoning desire that overpowers a person's considered impulses to do right and is driven to take pleasure and beauty um, is force reinforced by its kindred desires for beauty in human bodies. This desire, all conquering in its forceful drive, takes its name from the uh, word for force, Rome, and it is called Eros. So the, the topic of this speech isn't merely about love, but it's about a particular type of love, which we'll call Eros. And this, this Eros is um, connected to uh, other flaws, um, other uh, anti-virtues, uh, vices like hubris, for example, um, which he has mentioned earlier. So it's, it's this um, erotic love um, that Socrates is going to be describing. And so after giving that thesis statement, he breaks and sort of comments on the speech that he's been giving to Phaedrus and says, um, there Phaedrus, my friend, don't you think as I do that I'm in the grip of something divine? So having distanced himself um, from the presentation, right, having broken character, he's then going to step back in to finish his version of Lysias' speech, his revision. And he's, he's gonna do this by um, talking about sick lover. And it's very important to understand that he's talking about the sick lover um, because this is someone that you would not desire to be. Um, and that, that will be become very important in the critique of the speeches. So Socrates then, um, in talking about the, the sick lover, he explains um, that for the a sick man, he says, takes pleasure in anything that does not resist him, but sees, but sees anyone who is equal or superior to him as an enemy. That is why a lover will not willingly put up with a boyfriend who is his equal or superior, but is always working to make the boy he loves weaker and inferior to himself. Now, um, what 
the sick lover is going to do is he's going to seek pleasure in the ease of possession. So Socrates says that the, the sick lover is the one who finds pleasure in the ease of possessing something. And when we think about this in the terms of uh, media ecology, the sick lover is the one who finds pleasure in the ease of possessing the topic, right? And so the medium introduced, if it introduces an ease of possession of the topic, if it makes access to wisdom easy, we must question whether this is an example of the sick lover, right? And so um, this, again, thinks backwards to what we have talked about earlier in terms of media ecology and the introduction of writing. But for Socrates, it's going that's going to come later. So he's, he's going to introduce this argument now. And then um, we have to, in our minds, carry it forward and think about, ah, what does this say about the nature of writing? So the sick lover um, finds pleasure in the ease of possession. And the only things, um, only things that are less than um, themselves are desirable. So the object of affection must be kept down. And then um, Socrates gives the three or the, the four areas in which the object of affection is kept down. So it's kept down mentally. Uh, and he says that the, the boy should be kept from philosophy first and foremost because philosophy develops the, the mind. But second, um, kept down physically. And so he, he talks about the, um, this is a reference to the Greek cult of the body, but uh, having avoided exercise, the, the, the dangers of, or the evils of cosmetics, which gives an appearance that, that is not, that is not grounded in reality. Um, and then uh, socially, we're kept away from, from family and kept away from, from good relations. And then uh, emotionally, so emotionally stunted by flattery that is undeserved. And so in these four areas, then, the, the sick lover keeps their beloved down through mentally, physically, socially, and emotionally um, re retarding their growth, slowing down their growth. And then he, uh, Socrates will, um, will turn and say, and so what happens? What's the result of this? Because we're interested in the telos, right? We're saying, should the, the boy prefer the lover or the non-lover? And in the speech given by the non-lover, or rather, in the speech given by the lover to um, who is pretending to be a non-lover <laughs> in order to take possession, um, we would see here to take possession easily, we see that the speaker here is themselves the sick lover. So it's a speech in condemnation of the speaker. And when we understand that, we need to remember that this is Socrates' version of Lysias' speech. So Socrates is saying you should avoid um, what Lysias is promising you because Lysias is this sick lover. Um, yeah, so this is, um, Socrates set this up as a revision of Lysias' speech and has told us that the author is a lover pretending to be a non-lover in order to secure the object of his affection. And to secure the object of his affection, um, with greater ease. So it's the ease of possession um, that, that's important here. And so then um, Socrates points out what happens. Well, the, the boy becomes the sick lover. So he is converted into that thing um, that, that he should not desire to be. And so Socrates says, this is why um, 
this this is the in conclusion this is the result of Lysias's uh, line of argument and uh, Lysias hasn't made it clear and Socrates also hasn't made it clear but he he's going to critique the two speeches in order to make it plain um, what we have just experienced and so Socrates concludes his speech um, and he, he concludes his speech with the line do wolves love lambs that's how lovers befriend a boy and with that Socrates then ends his speech and Phaedrus complains no you've ended in the middle what what I thought you were going to give me another long speech on why the non-lover should be preferred. And Socrates says, oh, I've already started to slip into, into the epic. I won't do that. I'll just say that everything I've said of the one, the opposite is true of the other. And the a footnote that's given um, here in my translation points out that, that the nature of the epic was to praise heroes, not to condemn villains. Um, and so in praising the hero, in this form, what we're seeing is that that Socrates is taking the form of the epic and he's abusing it, and and so in this way, um, it's it's a corrupt form. Uh, but we're, we'll get more into the critique later. And so as we take this the speech from Socrates all together, we find first that the the context is important. So it's a revision of Lysias's speech. But then in the content, um, Socrates frames the speech very carefully as someone who is a lover parading as a non-lover in order to secure the easy possession of the object of its affection. And that framing is significant. Uh, well, and then moving forward to say that um, it, it does this through keeping it, keeping the objects down mentally, uh, physically, socially, and emotionally. And it's important, though, to keep in mind that when we're talking about this in, in relation to media ecology, we're talking this in relation to the introduction of writing, which Socrates sort of leads us to at the end of this dialogue. This isn't merely practical advice. <laughs> it's not merely practical advice about the relationships between human beings, you know, um, though that is significant and true. You know, if, if someone is professing their love to you, but trying to isolate you, um, mentally and physically and socially and emotionally, then they are a sick lover, right? But what Socrates is also pointing us towards in a, a grander scheme is that when our modes of technology make the possession of wisdom or the seeming possession of wisdom easy, when it removes the challenges of mentality, the challenges of thinking, um, when it removes the challenges uh, physically, you know, of, of having to work to obtain knowledge, um, when it removes the challenges socially of, of good affiliation, uh, just reading today in, in Guthrie's discussion of how um, uh, wisdom shared by contact, you know, it's with good companions and good company um, that we find wisdom. And then finally, when, when wisdom is divorced from the emotional challenge of um, maturity and maturation it's then that our technology gives us the appearance of wisdom that we do not know where it comes from and we have not understood wisdom and so we merely appear to be wise without truly being so and so that kind of uh, brings together the the warning that is exposed in socrates first speech but we'll have to come back later with uh, the combined critiques of the two speeches, Lysias and Socrates, together. Mm -hmm.
and that's it for today's episode. Hopefully the audio quality was a little bit better, although I'm not convinced that it was good. Um, uh, I will have to continue playing with my, my tools and seeing if I can't figure out how to use them more effectively. I do hope that you're able to get something out of today's episode, despite the uh, background noises and the, uh, the microphone case noises and the pops and hisses. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I would note is that uh, the, the format is changing a bit. Um, I'm trying to move to a once a week uh, podcast instead of uh, doing it three times a week as I had as I would have done in, in a classroom setting. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this works and what benefit comes of it. Um, there is also the potential to have some side discussions, um, and I'm still trying to figure that out. But as soon as I do, I will share it with you. Feel free to leave me a message, send any questions or comments either to my email address or uh, through the, uh, the Media Culture in a Digital Age archive webpage that's available to anyone who has an old LCC um, email address. And I will talk to you later.